To course correct all that confusion, I am a medical device recruiter, talent acquisition, specialized firm, building teams, designing teams, 100% and solely for medical device or med tech startup. What is med tech? It's regulated hardware and or software. Anything that has to report to the CDRH division of the FDA, that's me. We'll get involved into combination products as well. It just happens to be lesser of the volume. Uh, but to course correct, I we, we build teams. We're, we're a talent acquisition firm. But when you do that over and over and over again, and you specialize only in the startup, I don't work with Johnson & Johnson. I don't work with Boston Scientific or Medtronic or Abbott or Edwards. I try to understand and keep up with their portfolios and doing what they're doing and or learning what they're doing and also who they're acquiring. So I have to understand this corporate strategic story because ultimately that's where the commercialized products fundamentally lie for our, health, our greater healthcare system. But all of my clients, all of my focus is med tech startup, entrepreneurs, this startup ecosystem. What does it take to make a truly great health tech company? Welcome back to How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with people who are shaping the future of health tech and healthcare so that you too can learn their secrets and skills and help shape the future of how we help others. My name is Jeff, and this time we rejoin a conversation with Giovanni Loricella, the managing partner of Lifeblood Capital. This time we chatted about what it takes to make a truly great health tech venture. And surprise, it's not just venture capital funding. Let's get started. That's fair enough. I mean, you didn't end up in just regulatory. In fact, a lot of your previous interviews uh, focus on the work that you do when it comes to working with people. And your work now is basically finding the right people for startups in the med tech field and also finding the right funding for these startups, if I'm not incorrect. So if you can share with me, what's the, what's a, I guess, high level overview of the process that you go through to find the right people for the right positions in the med tech field? Cool. Uh, big question. So fundamentally what we do is, and not to overcomplicate the story, because I think the story at this point can somewhat seem complicated. Like I get pushback fairly regularly on, wow, you do a lot of things. And I really want to course correct that message because I happen to be able to do a lot of things at this point, because when you focus so hard and so intensely in one industry and you're a voracious networker, which is really all I do anyway, and you're in it for as long as I have been, it gives you the networking superpower to be able to do a lot of things because you just happen to have a network. However, to course correct all that confusion, I am a medical device recruiter, talent acquisition, specialized firm, building teams, designing teams, 100% and solely for medical device or med tech startup. What is med tech? It's regulated hardware and or software. Anything that has to report to the CDRH division of the FDA, that's me. We'll get involved into combination products as well. It just happens to be lesser of the volume. Uh, but to course correct, I, we, we build teams. We're, we're a talent acquisition firm. But when you do that over and over and over again, and you specialize only in the startup, I don't work with Johnson & Johnson. I don't work with Boston Scientific or Medtronic or Abbott or Edwards. 
I try to understand and keep up with their portfolios and doing what they're doing and or learning what they're doing and also who they're acquiring. So I have to understand this corporate strategic story because ultimately that's where the commercialized products fundamentally lie for our, health, our greater healthcare system. But all of my clients, all of my focus is med tech startup, entrepreneurs, this startup ecosystem. And so when you are only focused in startups, you have to understand how to build those startups against milestone. And also, more importantly, we'll get to the purpose of milestones. After many, many years of these startups being like, hey, man, I know you're specialized in our field. Just wanted to touch base with you because we're going to be closing around, hopefully anywhere between the next month, three months, year, whatever it may be. But wanted just to get to know you because when we do get that cash, I want to help partner with you so that we can build our team together and get, get going. And so, okay, great. Well, you let me know when you're ready. When you get that cash, when you close on that capital, I'm here for you whenever you, whenever you need. And so I just started telling myself, I'm like, what am I waiting for? And it just took me many, too many years. How many times do I have to put a reminder on the calendar to reach back out to that company to see if they've raised their capital? Why don't I just start helping them? And what gave me somewhat of a, a little bridge to be able to ask that question and then be able to really put the pressure on doing that was I started getting hired by venture capital firms to put in new CEOs into their portfolio companies that they invested in. Obviously, once founders align with their new board of investors and they're like, okay, let's get a new CEO in here to take over, that's when they would hire so I would come in and I would put in these CEOs, but along the way, you're building relationships with the VCs that have hired you, as well as the company that you're putting the new CEO in. CEO in. And so I didn't have a robust network. I mean, a handful of VCs that I've worked with over the years. And I just called them up one day and I said, listen, I know nothing. I am reaching out to you as a friend. I know we've spent time together putting in CEOs for your companies before. I need... 15 minutes if you got it, half hour if you'll give it. I know nothing about the other side of the table. What does it really mean to invest in medical device companies? What does it mean to raise capital from an entrepreneur's perspective, which then led me to my next little project of asking entrepreneurs and simply asking, what does it feel like? What do you even have to do? When you go out and raise capital, is it, what does that process look like? And I just started asking both sides of the table, and then once I had a pretty decent deal uh, or amount of jargon and lexicon of being able to speak capital raising, I started reaching out to investors and say, hey, listen, I have a tremendous amount of deal flow. I see startups all the time. I work with most of them, but some of them are still waiting on money. And if I can understand what your fund looks like, meaning what do you invest in, minimum check size, all that good stuff. I'll simply just make introductions. I mean, it benefits everyone, right? Those startups ultimately get the money. Great. Now they can come spend it on me and we can go build their teams. They get the money to go run their operations, meaning the startups themselves, and, and move forward the technology that they set out to do. And the investors get curated deal flow. They get to see technologies that they may have not been aware of before. So it's, it's a win-win. I'm not an investment banker. I don't charge money for this. I don't collect the success-based fee off of this. It is simply 
paying it forward, which is one of my differentiators um, as a recruiter. And that was kind of where the fork in the road happened. And that's where the complex story starts coming in. So fast forward a bunch of years, we design full teams. We can do, once again, your independent board members. We can hire your CEOs. We can work with those CEOs and hire R&D teams all the way through commercial teams from C-level down to entry-level. We're a one-stop shop. That's how we build teams. But over the years of doing that 10,000 times and then having this investor network, we're now able to make those introductions to those startups, to the investors. I think over light, slightly less than a handful of years at this point, we've helped facilitate a little bit more than 300 million for about 74 companies. Wow. And counting. And that's like one of those weird things where if you and I did this podcast in a month or three months or four months, the number would change because the, all this pipeline that's happening where all these introductions that have happened over the course and I make very high volume introductions on a weekly basis. If you look at a statistical level, most of them are highly unsuccessful. It's making introductions, but the ones that hit, then they hit and everyone wins. So that's what we do in terms of how we actually recruit. I mean, I'll, I'll let you jump in if you have any more molecular questions, but in terms of designing of teams, it's, it's, understanding what the problem is, going out and finding the candidates, running a very white glove service, becoming best friends with the hiring managers. It could be the CEO. It could be the vice president of R&D. It could be the director of quality, whoever's hiring, but we're very invasive. I mean, I have all of my hiring managers, mobile phone numbers in my phone, and this is not a nine to five job. And it's not a formal, let me disappear for four weeks, come back with five candidates and hire one. I am texting you on Saturday morning. I am email blasting you on Sunday night. I am asking for feedback on the candidate that I submitted 10 minutes ago on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, it is a very iterative process, almost like building a medical device, but just much higher volume and very fast. And we drive and drive and drive and educate the process with our hiring managers until they're ready to make an offer. And then we're very instrumental in being that insightful data sharer on helping them negotiate a proper offer to ultimately land the person that they want. And as a recruiter, I really don't have any met many metrics of successes, um, except obviously it has the hire been made, but what are the metrics of successes that we do pride ourselves on, which is driving that very thorough process is acceptance rates. If I have a client, a singular client or multiple clients, and we look at 10 offers being made, whether it's, you know, a couple offers with a company or 10 individual offers. If I'm only good for having four of those offers out of the 10 accepted, I'm doing something wrong. My job is to create a process that's so airtight, overly communicative, everyone alignment are aligned on in terms of understanding of where everyone is in terms of interests compensation, expectations, et cetera, so that by the time that the offer comes out, there should be no surprises. Like the ink should be dry pretty damn quick. That's my, that's my metric. And if I fail at that, that's what I should be held accountable to. Thank you for the very in-depth answer. I really appreciate it. Um, you, you really gave quite a bit of detail there, but for those who are, I guess, less familiar with 
the the equation that I've seen on your website, as well as which embodies a lot of your work, money plus people equals milestones. Can you explain what that means as you would to a five-year-old? Great question. So once someone has an idea to start a medical device company, it, it starts with a human being, right? It's, it's a shower idea, it's a napkin idea. There's no money involved. It's nothing but an idea. There's this growing, very early first days of the idea of growing pain, though it usually is people. We'll call them founders. Bootstrapping, working for free, moonlighting, whatever it may be. But once that phase is over, once that founder, very, very first days of foundership is over, they have to look outside for something. For more people, for more money, or money in general, they have to look outside. There, ha there is a threshold point where founders have to look outside. I mean, unless you're some already multiple serial entrepreneur who's made a billion dollars personally and you can seed your own company and, right? I mean, that, those are very few exceptions in between. But typically, the founders come together as human beings and then they have to look outside. 99.9% .9 of the time, that is for money first because they need that money to do what they're doing for whatever that founding team looks like. But then they need to then eventually start building a team, right? So typically, and like I alluded to before, all these startups that I would be working with that eventually were like, I would love to work with you. I would love for you to build my team. I just need to close on my series A. I, I need to close on my series B in a couple of weeks and I'll give you a call. So money comes first. And once they have that money, it's not like three people in a garage who close on a series B of 30 million stop right there and they just execute on that $30 million to go hit that next milestone of, is it first in man? Is it running and successfully closing a hundred person clinical trial and taking that data set and writing a PMA and submitting that to the FDA and getting approval and then all of a sudden they're ready to commercialize and no, when you close that 30 million, the first thing that you do is start going out and hiring people because you need that human capital, that human resource to come in and then start delegating micro or focused tasks to then satiate the greater good to then hit that milestone. Because when you're raising that capital, when those founders or whatever stage at the company is at, that CEO or that founder is looking into the eyes of the investor and they're pitching a story, which is usually all that they have, typically speaking, wrapped around a product. And they're saying, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, if you give me this money, this is the value creation that I will create with that money, which is not jumping right to the end line. It's jumping to a milestone. If I raise a $10 million Series A for a class three device, I am hoping that I get to design freeze and maybe a first in man test. Go through VNV, a design freeze. I put it maybe in one human or just right before one human, I got to go raise a series B to get there, right? But you're telling a story as to what series A is going to get me. Then it's on the operational execution team to drive to that milestone, utilizing that money that they raised so that then they have their next milestone in sight and the story repeats. So after the founders, 
they go out and raise capital money. Once they get that money, they hire people so that they can have the resources to hit the milestone. So money plus people equals milestone. And you have that on repeat until an exit, which is either an IPO going public, an acquisition, or unfortunately closing the doors and it's a failure. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. It was, it was really insightful, but I think there were some words in there that a five-year-old wouldn't understand. Uh, I got to refine my fit story that I got to work on. All right. Well, we'll come back when, uh, when you have that. But um, you, you started this firm, you've mentioned a couple of times already, and it's called Lifeblood Capital. What's behind the name? Love it. I love telling the story. So I host a podcast called MedTech Money where we demystify raising and investing capital in medtech. The goal of the podcast, and I hate even using the word podcast, I, I wanted to create this educational platform, this body of work where yes, there is significant value in each episode, but the greater value is the collective body of work where an entrepreneur who has literally zero clue of raising capital can go in the medical device industry and understand the nuances of raising capital at early stages, later stages, what's the nuances between raising money for software versus hardware, class three versus class one, what's it like to raise from an angel group versus family offices versus family and friends versus institutional investors versus corporate venture and all the answers from the perspectives of whoever my guests are would be there. And so now we're upwards of 110 episodes and it's investors telling their stories. It's entrepreneurs telling their stories. And my opening question that I ask all of them is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a medtech startup? Ah. What is the lifeblood of a medtech startup? And it's either validation of the first question or unsolicitedly, they say people and money are the lifeblood of medtech startups. Or for that matter, people and money are the, med, are the lifeblood of any startup. We just happen to be in medtech. So then it's a play on words, capital, right? Is it financial capital? Is it human capital? So if we agree that the lifeblood of a startup is people and money, and our business is talent acquisition, and fundraising strategies of helping startups find that capital or lifeblood capital. Clever, clever. I appreciate it. That, that's, a, that's a very, very good name. Thank you. I love um, it. So in your previous podcast, you've also talked about uh, good and bad capital on the topic of capital. I know we've only got a few minutes left, but really briefly, What's the difference between the two? Partnerships. If you, if you hear the podcast that I've been able to record, if you talk to entrepreneurs who have raised capital successfully and ask them their opinion and ask that exact same question, raising capital from investors is entering a marriage, likely a shorter term marriage than a lifelong marriage, but it's a marriage. And 
when you are, especially a first-time entrepreneur, and you are diehard passionate about the technology that you've either thought of and created, or a CEO who has taken over a very early stage idea and are now tasked with raising capital to keep the doors open and continuously developing the, the company, you don't necessarily think about what goes beyond taking the check. And you are desperate for money. And I use that word lightly, I guess, because there are times where you're simply saying to yourself, I know what I need to do. I know the next milestone I need to hit. It's a, I, I simply need the money. Someone give me the money so I can go back to doing what I know I need to do. And if you look at it that way, you start looking at money coming from anywhere. And that could be a severe problem because once you take bad money from a, an investor and they're on your cap table or they're on your board or they're on your board of advisors and they have different agendas or they drive timelines differently than you or they want to out you as the founder and CEO or they want to bring in somebody because there's political things that you don't understand in the background. You don't know. There could be a plethora of reasons. Bad money can literally kill a company. And so, yes, it's fundamentally and superficially money up front. Fine. Go on your bank account, on your online bank, and you can see the money deposited in there. Great. You got money. But when you have to answer to the person who gave you that money and they don't align with the vision of the company that the founders or the CEO is trying to drive for, it brings incredible conflict, which is heavily distracting for the operations of the company and can kill the company. You, you quickly learn throughout the capital raising process, especially if you're a successful entrepreneur who's transacted and you've been through this wholeheartedly, um, or even just raised a, a round or two and you've been through it or had a, a bad board of directors. Good money is supportive, value-added experience, contacts, network, and execution that's given to the company to help foster and develop the company in addition to the capital that they give you. Neutral money is someone who loves the story, believes in you, writes you a check, and purposely disappears. They're not good. They're not bad. They don't have an agenda. They don't have an opinion. They're just sitting on the sidelines watching either this thing take off like a rocket or crash like a race car. So um, that's the difference between bad, neutral, and good money. Good money is capital plus value-added experience, wisdom, context, network. Neutral money is what I just shared with. They don't have an agenda. They're just capital and they move on and they don't really have an opinion. And bad money, um, if not vetted out properly, can tank your company. And it's not just money. It's money with an opinion. And if it doesn't align with yours, it's detrimental. And so if you're an entrepreneur raising capital, it, just remember it's a two-way street. It's a marriage. And you may be desperate for cash, but sometimes it's better not to take that cash, even if it hurts. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're basically at time to close up now. But before we close up, you've talked a lot about the work that you've done. Um, is there anything new that the listeners can look forward to that you will be doing in the future, especially in the context of uh, an inflationary economy that is difficult to, to raise a startup in as capital would be scarce? Oh, man, Th there is. 
we actually have a, a, a really long-term vision, which is actually not that long-term, which is super exciting. And I'm very excited to get there. Um, it, what I can allude to the fact is it's a very natural progression of where we're heading, right? So, um, we are a talent acquisition firm. We're never going to stop that. That is where we are and will always be, but being at this epicenter of the entrepreneurial ecosystem and be now being able to make those introductions and help those entrepreneurs find money. And then you have that built-in deal flow and you have those syndication partners and you have a value add in terms of a skill set to a startup that you could help. I'll let you paint the rest of the picture of where we might be headed and, and keep that as a little bit of a surprise. But um, I'm very excited about that next step and journey. And All right. A couple other communal building projects that we're going to be doing um, this year, 2023, uh, with the entrepreneur in mind and, and keeping that ecosystem and community together and impactfully demystifying a few things as well as sharing free content with the entrepreneur to help them in that awfully hard journey of building a medical device startup company. Awesome. Well, thank you for painting that picture. With that, we'll end off. Thanks for coming on, Gio. Really appreciate it. You can find How It's Met at any, I guess, podcast that you listen to. And you can also listen to MedTech Money um, at any podcatcher as well. Am I correct? You are correct. All right. Until next time. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.